Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The NFL season might be over, but there's still plenty to talk about. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We'll be taking a look back at 2018, this time looking specifically at the NFC side of the board. We'll be sharing our highs and lows by giving our Scottish Slanted Awards based on the whole season this time. We'll also be sharing your thoughts from Twitter. And as ever, we'll round things off with some of the news items which have caught our attention this week, including an update on the Alliance of America League, Bye Bye Bell, and Brown, and a home for Hunt. So this is all about looking back at the NFC season for 2018. We reached out and we asked you to give our Scottish Slanted Awards, but for the whole season this time, and specifically for the NFC side of things. So we'll go to that first of all. We also asked as well for people to put forward their own Scottish Slanted Awards. And the first people in were the, was Steve at the American Football Cast, and he wanted to do the Whit Ye Dayin' Man Award, which he gave to Steve Wilkes for his attempt at head coaching. <laughs> so... Good one there from Steve. Uh, LA Rams UK got in touch. The most Scottish-like performance for them is the Panthers. Similar to a Scotland qualification campaign, started off brightly, but in the end it was a failure. Can't really argue with that. Honkin goes to the Cardinals in offset. And his Porridge Award goes to Aaron Donald. Again, also in offset. Michael Hughes got in touch. He thinks the Scottish-like performance goes to the Lions. They beat the Patriots, and they lost to pretty much everyone else. Nothing more Scottish than raising your game against the big guns. Honking, Cardinals, no more need said. I think there's going to be a theme with the Honking Award, to be fair. And his he's had his porridge uh, going with snacks for this one. Bright spot in a dull line season. He's huge, too. That's a fair one. Uh... Lauren Callahan got in touch. Scottish performance for him is again the Panthers. Entered the second week of November at 6-2, only to lose seven of eight games over the rest of the season. Uh, Honkin Award, although this applies to the whole NFL, not just the NFC, he's given the honking to the officiating. Too many bullshit roughing the passer calls at the start of the season, not to mention snap infraction calls and obviously missed calls in the championship game with multiple exclamation marks. I think that one's especially for you. Was there a missed call in the championship game? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put my mind back to I have to tell you, in case anybody's wondering, no, I'm not over it yet. Uh, Michael McLeod has asked, who wins the Hibstead Award for the NFC? Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory season. Uh, as a side note, he's unsure if Hibstead is still allowed after they won the Scottish Cup. So we're delving slightly into football there. I think the Hibstead phrase died with the Scottish Cup, to be honest. I think it did in, in those terms. I think it just has to be now the, just the more generic Scottish award. Um, but some of these ones for honking are interesting. And, and people obviously... You know, we keep a, across all the teams. We try and watch as much as we can. But the Cardinals, you know, we didn't always see. Sometimes you simply didn't want to see them. And I used to listen to a lot of Cardinals games on the radio because yeah. they tend to be, you know, in that second window and listen to them. I'm just really disappointed because Steve Oakes was supposed to be a decent guy. And to only get a one and done, which is rare. You normally get that second year somewhere. Yeah. Um, so the one and done, I think at some point, in the next few weeks, we'll actually dive a little bit into the Cardinals and have a look because I think they are one of the most interesting teams to look at. And now they're talking potentially, do they trade, get the best quarterback in the draft? Do they get rid of, you know, last year's top? It's There's fascinating stuff going on there. So I think we'll have a little look at the Cardinals in depth. Absolutely. Uh, Martin Dooley, he got in touch to say, how about a Goni No Day That Award for when the Patriots start playing well halfway through the season and you just know they're heading to the Super Bowl? Uh, not 
NFC, but still, I think it's a yeah, bit I, I, I take it. I would like to announce that uh, my retirement as a Patriots fan. <laughs> um, they did the job that I needed them to do, so I've now retired and I've gone back to being a full-time Saints fan. Absolutely, and I'm sure no one will accuse you of being biased no. at all either. So, uh, most Scottish-like <laughs> performance for him goes to the Lions, just because I think they're another team in with a shout other than the Cardinals. Uh, Maybanks has got in touch. He says, Scottish-like performances, the Vikings promised so much, delivered very little. Uh, honking award for him, though, is the Green Bay Packers, a sub- 0.500 season with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Says it all. They're a very interesting franchise at the moment, I think. And again, what we're going to do over the next while before you know, football comes yeah. back is, is to take a look at certain teams and see, almost plot the demise. Yeah. And I think Green Bay are in that category where they could go one of two ways. Because I tell you what, their division now is pretty tasty. Um, you know the Bears are now decent. They've sorted things out. The Vikings still have their quarterback, yep. and I think that's key. And the Lions, the Lions could do anything. You know they can because they've got a good coach. I think we're agreed on that. But it, you know, if they have a good draft, all yep. of a sudden there's a wee sneaky there, and Green Bay might just regress even more. And um, he also adds in another interesting one for his. He's had his porridge. Russell Wilson, without him, Seattle win five games maximum. Again, that's a really interesting one. Now, Russell Wilson, uh, his name at the moment is being bounded around by Colin Cowherd, which I kind of, to be honest, wouldn't even like to name drop him or anything. But he said that the Giants are keen and that Russell Wilson is keen to move to New York at the end of his contract. Could the Giants end up trading for Russell Wilson? So you can imagine on Twitter, silly season has begun uh, and everyone's now thinking Russell Wilson ends up at the Giants. I don't see that happening. I don't see any scenario that the Seattle Seahawks will trade him away. They're, I don't think they're in rebuild mode and I think that they've shown that. They are still very competitive. Um, I think if you're Pete Carroll, you're not getting rid of Russell Wilson. It really is that simple. Unless you're wheeling somebody else in automatically that's just as good. If you look at you know the, the way that they played, they were ten and six, pretty decent record. They were three and three in the division, but they had to play the Rams twice. I think they had a really good season, you know, really solid. And again, people were writing them off as potentially not this, not that. They weren't going to be able to do certain things. You know, I, I think you know. I also bear in mind, you know, that they only lost to the Cowboys by two points. Yes, I think there's a team in there, and again. It's all about the draft, which is not the crapshoot that people think it is. You've got to do your research. You've got to just plug in the gaps that you need. And sometimes if that is best player available, just take the best player available and then construct a trade if that's how you want to do it. But no, I mean, if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm certainly, certainly not giving up on Russell Wilson. Definitely not. And then finally then, Liam Oliver, he got in touch. Most Scottish-like performance for him is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in so many games which they ultimately lost. First in passing, 12th in points, 5-11 and 11 record. Uh, Honkin Award for him also ends up with the Cardinals poor from start to finish. He's had his porridge, goes to Sakon Barkley uh, for a phenomenal rookie season. Hard to argue with that. And he adds in the Nailuck Award, which goes to Clay Matthews for daring to even touch a quarterback. Yeah, I might have sneezed in the wrong direction, a little <laughs> bit of a, a show. Let's come back to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah. Now, they've obviously lost their coach, Dirk Cotter, needed a winning season. Now, you could argue that an 8-8 eight and eight might have kept him there. But the problem he had was Jameis Winston. Yeah. And that problem of flipping between the two quarterbacks because of the suspension. 
course, they knocked the Saints off in the first game. So, I mean, they were then 4-11 and in the stretch. But you're two or three games away from keeping your job. You've got a talented offence. Things just... Was it the fact that he just couldn't get everybody to rally together? We saw him on Hard Knocks. He looked a decent guy, an organised guy. He looked like somebody that you would actually want to play for. He just came across well. And the difference between him and you, Jackson, was he seemed to have a bit more of a bite about him. Yeah. Which you, who, again, I thought came across really well as a nice guy, a guy you would want to play for. But did he just have that little bit of edge that you needed? And I think Dirk Cotter um, gave that. If we're giving out awards, I think one of the best tweets of the season came from Dirk Cotter's daughter. Just, I thought it was lovely. Just yeah. said how proud she was yeah. of her dad. Um, doesn't matter what happens, whether he's sacked or not, he's a great guy. That was lovely. Absolutely. And I think, do you know what? If you if you really look at it, he he was horribly let down by both these quarterbacks. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick came out at the start of the season. And I mean, nobody was back in the box to beat the Saints week one. Mm-hmm. Nobody. And we sat at the golf tavern and watched it in amongst the company and everyone went, what on earth happened? Yeah. So actually, I'm thinking, you're cursed watching uh-huh. the Saints at the Golf Tavern, but that's another <laughs> thing for a later point. But, you know, um, Polly, who listens into this podcast, who's he's been along to things, big Buccaneers fan, and even he was like, I didn't see this coming. No, he's stunned. So they started brilliantly. Um, Fitzpatrick then went on to week two, played very well again. But if you look at the statistics as well, Jameis Winston threw 14 interceptions. Now, he didn't play a full season, not even close. But that's the most interceptions of any quarterback in the NFC, which is just a terrible, terrible stat. And let's also talk about the fact that the Panthers imploded. The Falcons didn't have a winning record either. If there was ever a year even to get to eight wins, that was the year for me for the Buccaneers because the other two, I mean, the Saints were strong. I mean, the Saints were always going to be strong. But there was that chance just to get yourself in position. And who knows, with that offence, where they actually could have gone. Yeah. And what disappoints me is sometimes you just see coaches going. And, and and here's their problem. They lost their last four. They had a very impressive win against the 49ers because, you know, you've still got to beat teams. Yeah. You then beat the Panthers, but you lose to the Saints, you lose at the Ravens, you lose at the Cowboys... And you lose versus the Falcons. Now, the Saints beat them by 14 points, but it was eight points against the Ravens, seven points against the Cowboys, and two points against the Falcons. Now, if those three games, all within a score, flip the other way, they're eight and eight, he might still have a job. Totally. Margins. Uh, Do you know what? Even if the schedule was different and some of those games had been reordered, if he closed the season out with the 49ers and could well have got a victory there, it's a different conversation. Going to Baltimore, going to Dallas, these are tough places to go against very good defensive uh, teams, especially when your quarterbacks are chucking a bunch of interceptions. You're always going to struggle there. But yeah, the Bucks the whole time felt like a team that could very much threaten, could be in the game, but ultimately weren't. And actually, I'm going to agree with Liam on this one. I think they get my uh, most Scottish-like performance within the NFC purely for that. There's there's a whole bunch of other cases in there. I think there's some really good ones. I think the Lions are another great contender for it. I think actually the Packers are a great contender for that. One or two really star players, but you know what? Ultimately, that squad's not really good enough and those players can only carry them so far. That showed up. So I think the Packers are another potential uh, sorry Scottish performance for me. 
but it, it's Tampa because they started so well. There was hope. There was expectation. People thought, you know, Fitz Magic's back. Yeah. There was so much hype. You know, that press conference where he's coming out uh, dressed up in, uh, was it Vincent Jackson's stuff, I think. And it was hilarious. And they were having fun. And then it all just went horribly wrong. It did. Now, you could argue they've now got Bruce Arians in, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, if, if there's one good coaching change this season, I think Bruce Arians is good. I think Dirk Cotter will find himself a job when he wants a job. I think he'll be okay as far as that's concerned. But just in a, in a down year for the Falcons and Panthers, I thought it was it was a lost opportunity. If you look at other teams, you know, it's easy to talk about the playoff teams, and we yeah. did so. We'll probably focus just a little bit on the, on the teams who disappointed us. Washington got to 7-9 and nine despite having two quarterbacks breaking their legs. Yeah. Um, the Giants, they should have replaced Eli last year. That's the conventional, which they at least brought somebody else in the building. However... I do think they did the right thing in taking Barkley because I think he is your one in a generation. Yeah, totally. Um, I think they could pick up a quarterback in this year's draft with Kyler Murray or not. But I think there was other quarterback opportunities for them. They could have chased Flacco if they wanted. I think that once in a generation player like Barkley, you've got to you've got to draft. Uh, the Lions are the Lions. You go and beat the Patriots and then you just mess around with other teams and again disappoint. The Cardinals will touch a little bit on. 49ers at 4-12. and 12. You lose your quarterback, who is such a big influence, and this is the same for Washington, then I'll give you a pass for a year. Because I don't think it's fair to sack any coach when your star man goes down. I mean, I'm not talking if necessarily Blake Bortles goes down, because that shouldn't change things. But, you know, if you've got a real gulf, then I think it does. So, yeah... I feel sorry for one or two of the teams, but it's the old story, and it, and it's what people, you know, saying the English Premier League don't appreciate. Somebody's got to lose, you know. Not every team's going to go eight and eight. So for every thirteen and three, somebody's going three and thirteen somewhere. Well, I mean, you say that we've just had a season where nobody went eight and eight, which is uh, yeah, that, unbelievable. It's, it's, you know, across both conferences, it just didn't happen. And um, so, yeah, no, you're totally right, and I think that the Niner. The Niners for me, and we'll come onto this probably in a bit more when we start looking at the season ahead, but the Niners for me, there's still worries around Jimmy Garoppolo. He obviously didn't start the season as well as he'd ended the one before. He just hadn't. The, but he was still playing fairly decent. The Niners were doing all right, fine. Um, but, you know, you look at their record in particular, and they're the only team not to have won on the road in the NFC. That's, that's bad. Uh, the differential of minus 93 is the second worst in the NFC, only beaten by the minus 200 of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, when you look at that, <laughs> yes. there is only one honking contender within the NFC for me, and it absolutely is the Cardinals. But, you know, the Niners have got uh, a lot to, to do. Pierre Garçon's going to be released to free agency. There's a big need at wide receiver. Jarek McKinnon uh, should be coming back from injury. But we've never seen him play for the 49ers. We've no idea how he's going to fit into that scheme. You've got George Kittle was heavily leaned on and there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to you know, pick him up in their fantasy drafts and stuff like that thinking he's great. Mm. And I, I love George I love him. Um, but I'm not sure he's going to see as much service when there's if... Well, I suppose it depends if there's other threats. But people will now know what he's all about. So he's going to see a lot more attention from the defences that he's coming up against. But not to have won a single away game is definitely disappointing. Well, let's look at that, though. I mean, you can accept losing at the Vikings. Yeah. 
on opening day, it was close eight point. You can accept losing at the Chiefs. You can accept losing at the Chargers. Even the Packers, because that's a hard place to yeah. go. But you managed to lose to the Cardinals on the road and followed that up by getting scalped by the Buccaneers. Yeah. Now, they are two winnable games. If, if you've got a target and away game, uh, you then had to go to the Seahawks and the Rams. So it wasn't the easiest no. away schedule in the world. But I think that everybody else was beating up on the Cardinals. And if you're going to lose in Tampa Bay, and I appreciate it's a coast-to-coast game, but you don't want to lose by 27 points to nine. No, you don't. And to touch on your point there, the Arizona Cardinals' home record for the season, one and seven. So their one win was against the 49ers. So the, the Cardinals actually won more games on the road than they did at home, uh, which is quite something. That's hard to do. That is hard that, to do. That really is hard to do in, in today's NFL. But I'm going to bring you back to exactly that statistic and give you another one. Go on. Because the only other team in the NFC to do that when more games on the road than at home are whom? Actually, there's two teams. I'd tell you a lie, I've missed one. One of them's the Washington Redskins. Right? Mm-hmm. Three and five at home, four and four on the road, but that's probably largely down to the quarterback. The only team other than the Cardinals and the Redskins to win better on the road than at home. Pure guess, Chargers. No, because we're talking the NFC. Oh, so <laughs> I've just glanced down and I'm looking at Chargers with the, with the schedule here. So the NFC, there's two conferences, isn't there? Yeah. The NFL Scotland podcast. <laughs> nothing, nothing goes past us. Uh, oh, Lions? Nope. Nope. Your very own New Orleans Saints, who were 6-2 and two at home, 7-1 and one on the road. Sure, yeah, we were road warriors this year, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a, a tremendous statistic. And if we're going to talk about how honking the Cardinals was, we we only have to give you credit, And I'll, although we know that you're biased. Uh, the New Orleans Saints had a differential of plus 151, which was the biggest across both divisions. That is tremendous. I've been accused of being biased before this week. <laughs> <laughs> this time it's true though uh, it, it, it is true I, and I, w- I would just like to give a shout out to the person who accused me of being horrendously utterly completely biased when it comes to the NFL um, that, that that was one of the tweets that made me smile this week um, so yeah so looking at the stats though right uh, so certainly for me I feel like most Scottish like performance then goes to the Packers yeah, Sorry, the, the, the Buccaneers. Panthers. The Panthers or the Buccaneers, you could argue. Yeah. Because one went into a really strong winning position and the other one had the ability to save their coach. I think the Tampa Bay one was perhaps less surprising. So I would go with the Panthers. They were in the driving seat and ended up in the boot. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, you look at the success of Christian McCaffrey this year. I mean, what a season he had. Uh, you know, 1,098 yards running uh, and then 867 yards receiving. So within the NFC, he was the number five running back of them all. And within receiving, he was number 15 overall. He, The problem there was, I think other than him, DJ Moore started to come into a little bit more. The, the, there wasn't weapons. And Cam Newton didn't play particularly brilliantly, I don't think. Um, you know, second highest amount of interceptions in the NFC. It just uh, the Panthers live and die by him more than anyone else. And, and in the, the seasons that he's been off, they've been off. 
And he could be off again yeah. next year. Well, he's had his shoulder surgery, and then you've got to wonder about what he's going to be like when he comes back. Well, see, that's the problem. It, it doesn't matter. And, and as, I suppose to a certain degree, the medical technology now is so good and they get the best of the best. What might have done you, even five years ago, isn't quite the same. But anybody coming back, it's immediately, how's your quarterback? How's your, and, the, and the Colts had this with Andrew Luck, how's your quarterback? Um, and you look at it and you think they are a team that need him. And if they don't have him, I think they're in big, big trouble. But which might open it up for one or two other teams to come through. You know, not everybody's going to do, you know, the best best that they can potentially do all the time. But the Panthers, you know, I mean, North Turner, I thought had got the things working quite nicely for them. Um, and I just thought, you know, th- things were running for them and they just collapsed. And I think that would, you know, worry the, the fans more than more than anything. Just the sheer and utter collapse. Absolutely. Uh, so, your honking award? <sighs> honking? Ugh. Yeah, Panthers. They should have Panthers been, as well. Yeah, they, they, they just, to get yourself into that position. I mean, you could argue that the... The, the, the Cardinals is the The, the true one, honking yeah. award is the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, but, again, first year coach, what were you expecting? Well, you're expecting a hell of a lot more than you got. I mean, two wins came over the 49ers and you know and that was it so yeah you could argue they're, they're the easy option but the Panthers disappointed me as well so then we move on to he's had his porridge and there's a few contenders for this one to be honest we've already touched on Saquon Barkley you know 1,307 yards 11 touchdowns in the season an absolutely brilliant um, rookie performance you know there's no arguing with that whatsoever Todd Gurley was on track I think that his postseason performance, kind of towards the end of the regular season, means that he's maybe fallen out of it. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott ended the season again with one thousand four hundred and thirty-four, uh, six touchdowns for him. You know, Todd Gurley though seventeen touchdowns that he scored, absolutely unreal. You look at the number of first downs that they got as well across those top three. Ezekiel Elliott got seventy-three first downs, which is <laughs> quite something compared to Barkley's fifty, Gurley for all his running seventy, so not quite as many as Elliott. You know. Elliot was key in Dallas and Dallas' season turned at the point where they brought in Amari Cooper and suddenly there was an option out wide as well and we discussed that previously on the pod but you look at some of the other running backs the only other person that maybe gets a mention is Alvin Kamara because although he was the ninth overall in yards for uh, rushing he got 14 rushing touchdowns and he was also very high on the receiving side of things as well and was important in that side of the game so, you know, you can't take away from the fact that he is a key player and had another great season. We've seen a lot of rookies have great rookie years and then the sophomore year is disappointing. Yeah. I don't think you can say the same of Kamara. He more than covered for Ingram when Ingram wasn't there for the first four games. And then when Ingram came back, he, he got a little bit of a rest, but it was still utterly relevant. And if anything, he got better opportunities to try and score. Yeah, I mean, Kamara's one of my favourite players at the moment and, and we managed to see him live and you just see the acceleration that he has. He's also quite a wind-up merchant as well, which which makes him good. Um, I, I mean, I, I argued for Drew Brees for MVP. I think for sure, passing efficiency. It just, he tailed off in the last few games. I, I do accept that. But, you know, he's just last year set a record, this year sets the record. It's just 
a phenomenal player who sometimes, and it's interesting, and hopefully in a future podcast we're going to be speaking to one of the hosts of the one of the big Saints podcasts, yeah. BS and Beer, uh, David Romero. They feel the Saints don't get the love on the national level that they perhaps deserve, and that you know that's one of the things we we want to explore with them. You know, you've always got a bias towards your own team. Sometimes your own quarterback and Drew Brees. You know, I just thought he had a, a phenomenal season for what he did. Absolutely, and um, you know, through thirty-two touchdowns against five interceptions, which is quite something. Uh, passer rating over the season of one hundred and fifteen point seven, which is the highest in the NFC. Um, you know, Russell Wilson is second highest behind that with one hundred and ten point nine. Interestingly, though, this is a stat that jumped out at me, and we've talked about, um, and this person's not a contender at all, but five interceptions over the season for Breeze, who threw for near 4,000 yards on the season. Alex Smith uh, had five interceptions as well. He only scored 10 touchdowns, though, as opposed to Breeze's 32. But he obviously still threw for over 2,000 yards. So of all the quarterbacks in the NFC that threw over 2,000 yards, there's two of them have five interceptions. There's one quarterback who threw for over 4,000 yards and only had two interceptions over the whole season. And I'm going to put you on the spot again. Any guesses? Oh, man. He threw 25 touchdowns. He threw two interceptions. And he threw for 4,442 yards. Wow, that's an interesting one. Which was the third highest in the NFC. Uh, Dak Prescott? No, uh, no, no, close. What did Dak Prescott? Eight interceptions, not yeah. terrible. Aaron Rodgers. Wow. So although the Packers didn't really do that much, it's hard to point the finger at Aaron Rodgers with statistics like that. See, but the, the problem is the stats and what they don't show necessarily. And one of the reasons that I was pushing Drew Brees for MVP was... These ones, and they are available elsewhere, it's, it's situational football. Yeah. I mean, Drew Brees engineered comeback after comeback after comeback, particularly on the road, which was impressive. He crushed the Super Bowl champions. So, yeah, yeah. Aaron Rodgers perhaps just a little bit... No, you're right. Because yeah. Matt Ryan, number one overall in the NFC for yards, 4,924. Uh, 35 touchdowns which is the most in the NFC. Seven interceptions, which is actually a really good yeah, record. Yeah. Passer rating of 108.1. But ultimately, the Falcons weren't really relevant at any point in the season. You know, if you go through the numbers as well, you look at the receiving statistics. Uh, Julio Jones is top of the pile. 1,677 yards, eight touchdowns, nowhere near. Second highest on the wide receiving, um, the, sorry, the receiving yards for the NFC, Mike Evans. 1,524, eight touchdowns. What a great season he had. But but if you look at it for for the Falcons, okay, they kicked off against the Eagles, which was always going to be yeah. hard, and they lost by six And points. they lost half their defence that night yeah, as well, abs- which absolutely. is a large reason these numbers are what they but are. But then let me, let me read you the next few scores. I'm not saying which way they went. 31-24, 43-37, 37-36, 41-17, They're... All high-scoring games, yeah. and they won two of them. Yeah, and even then, actually, the difference in the games, other than one there, were not massive. So it was down to plays here absolutely. and there. Absolutely, absolutely, absolute margins. And the other thing is, you got to remember they won the last three, which padded out the record um, because you know they, they were sitting in a bad, bad place. They were four and nine. At least they finished seven and nine. Um, you know they they beat the Cardinals. Not a surprise. 
But they then went to two divisional games on the road. And if I'm a Falcons fan, or the Falcants, as, as <laughs> Dave, Dave Romero calls them, um, you know, 24-10 in Carolina, 34-32 in Tampa Bay. And these games have always got that little bit more of an edge and they won on the road. Good on them. Yes, indeed. A um, couple of special mentions here. Michael Thomas, again, had another great year. Uh, his sort of accuracy at catching is unreal. You know, targeted 147 times and caught the ball 125 of those times. It's that's unreal. That's stunning. Yeah. I mean, it's utterly, utterly stunning. And again, if you were talking about the MVP candidate, he would have to be in it. You tend not to get the sexy. The wide receivers tend not to get that. But, you know, the running backs seem to... Yeah. Excuse me, clock the yards. Uh, but he, he was phenomenal, certainly. You know, I mean, that's an amazing record. Yeah, yards after catch, 502 as well, which is really high in the league. Um, Christian McCaffrey for yards after catch, by far the most. 848, which is quite something. And, you know, when he only got 867, that just shows you, you know, he's catching a lot. To be fair to him, he was targeted 124 times and caught the ball 107. That again, stunning. And if oh. you look at your go-to guys, and these are not people that the defenses aren't looking at. Yeah. You know, they know it's happening. They know it's coming. And you know, it's still good to scheme it and to work the way to get people open and free. He was the offense for a while. Right. So, porridge time. Who's had their porridge for you then over the season? I'm I'm biased. I'm going with Michael Thomas. Right. Okay. Because I think that is a season that is is memorable you know he scored touchdowns he caused utter havoc certainly in the early part of the season um and the Saints 13 and 3 won their division I, I think I think I can justify that my my biased meter points towards George Kittle I think yeah. as a tight end the season that he had was brilliant I think he comes across so great uh, I really likable guy absolutely brilliant um but for me I, I actually have to give it to Christian McCaffrey um, I think that as dynamic and as exciting as Alvin Kamara is, I think Christian McCaffrey is that exact same player. I think, you know, the NFC South and those guys have got two of the best utility backs in all of the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I think that Barkley will potentially start to come into that conversation. But I think you just can't ignore those numbers. I mean... I, I watched it week after week and kept thinking, why are people not covering McCaffrey? <laughs> How is he finding the space every time? And they managed to get him to find the space. Um, and, you know, you look, at the, you look at the stats and we're talking about Cam Newton there and obviously his shoulder and what have you. But if you actually look at his Russian statistics as well, he was the 20th highest runner in all of the NFC. You know, that's, he, he got more than Tariq Cohen. Um, which is, he got more than Rashad Penny, who loads of people were talking about. He actually got a lot more yards than even Russell Wilson, who is, we know, is very good at running around. But the one thing that Cam does, he's big, he's strong. This is why he gets his injuries, is because he does run the ball. Well, th that, that's the exact point, isn't it? That's why he's in for yeah. the, the surgery and the rehab, because quarterbacks, yeah, you can slide, you can try and get yourself out, but you are going to take additional hits. And I feel, I feel for them, and I feel for him, but... You know, you've then got to say, well, why isn't your supporting cast better? Indeed. But for me, McCaffrey, seven rushing touchdowns and 11 receiving. That's an impressive season. And I think that because he was playing in a team that disappointed, 
I think it got massively overlooked. You had him in your fantasy team, you were laughing. If you had him in your fantasy team and you're playing PPR, you were winning. You know, and that was as simple as that. Um, he he really was absolutely brilliant. Um, and again, that's going to be a tough one for them to keep going because you think surely now the teams in the division are going to be like, take McCaffrey out of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So there you have it. We've made our decisions. Uh, let us know your thoughts. And of course, on the next episode, we'll be talking about the AFC awards. So start getting them to us as soon as possible. I would just like to say, and I'll reveal this right now, that I won't be voting for a Saints player for the AFC. <laughs> because I, I like to keep things nice and open. Yeah, it's good to know. Well, it's not been quite the football-free zone that it has been in previous years because we've had the Alliance of America League, which has made its launch. It's across several TV networks. been some high-profile guys calling the games on CBS, including Gary Danielson, of whom I'm a massive fan. You've watched a little bit more than I have. What have you made of it? So I really enjoyed this, and I think that the first weekend, the first two games on the Saturday were late, and that meant that it was a bit of a challenge. I wasn't sure about setting up, so what I did was I watched those on highlights. Um, The... Express Iron Game was then on the TV at a reasonable time and I watched that, it was very one-sided uh, and then watched the highlights of the Stallions Hotshots game The week one, the Fleet Commanders was a very good game I mean that sack that we've seen by the Commanders on the Fleet quarterback has been shown so much and that was perfect for the Alliance because right away it made people go oh they're playing proper football yeah. for those that hark back to the, some of the rules uh, you know, we touched on it earlier, Clay Matthews, you know, every time he even breathed on the quarterback, <laughs> there was a flag. Uh, so there's people engaging with that right away. Uh, then the Stallions' Hot Shots was actually quite a good game, 22-38, but the Hot Shots looked really good. Carried forward into week two, Stallions' Iron was an early game, so I was able to watch that in full. Um, and it was KJ, you know, it wasn't necessarily a def- uh, quarterback masterclass or anything like that. But then the Hot Shots and the Express, the late game, watched it the following morning, really close game. Then we came on to the Apollo's Commanders, which was a brilliant game. And hands down, absolutely brilliant entertainment. The game went back and forth. There was pick sixes. There was, you know, the Commanders took the lead. The Apollo's fought back. Absolutely superb. And then the Legends um, against the Fleet. The Legends went into an early lead on that one. And then the Fleet came back and won that and really got into their groove. So, so far, what we've had is we've had some really interesting stuff taking place. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it I think that fine you know what the quality is not the NFL but it's not meant to be the NFL this is going to be a development league some of these guys have played before some of these guys have never played at NFL when I say played before played NFL and then come down and you can see that a little bit in some of the performances so you look at the wide receivers and Charles Johnson for the Apollos you know already over two games he's had 11 receptions 252 yards and a touchdown he's averaging 22.9 yards per catch and he played brilliantly you know the Apollos look to be probably the team that I would put number one them and the Arizona I think are the top two and they're the ones to watch um, and funnily enough, uh, number two in the wide receiver is Rashad Ross of the Arizona team. Uh, nine receptions for 170 yards and three touchdowns. So they're the two offensive strong teams. And I think that they will make it interesting. Um, at running back, you've got Zach Stacy, who's come back into the game. He's playing for the Memphis Express. He's currently tied at the top with Jaquan Gardner uh, at the fleet. But, you know, both of those players have got 159 yards. Uh, Stacy's got one touchdown. 
Gardner's got two. Uh, there's other people coming through in this as well. Trent Richardson, who obviously we know went to the Browns back at when basically anything the touch, <laughs> yeah. the, the Browns touch went to dirt. Um, it was bitterly disappointing. Um, he's got 99 yards and three touchdowns so far. He's actually looked really good. There's still elements when he plays that you can see why he's the old Trent Richardson, never quite made it. But then there's other guys. There's Kenneth Farrow at the uh, San Antonio Commanders. Uh, he's got 111 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, but it's looked really exciting, really interesting to watch. The games are fast. You hear from the, the booth uh, umpire. You hear exactly what they're saying and you hear their reasoning. We've had examples of them changing their mind after they've seen another angle. They've explained why they've changed their mind. It's brilliant. It's really engaging. Um, I think that the NFL Network's been really interesting. So they've had uh, Maurice Jones-Drew doing it with Marvin Lewis. And actually that's adding reasonably good insight yeah. into this as well so it feels like actually this is probably where uh, Jason Witten should have started um, if anywhere at all but still you know it. I'm a fan so far I'm definitely a fan um, I think that there's a lot of positives out of this uh, it's it's more football the, the fact that the games are on on a Saturday and on a Sunday as well is superb so you can watch football on a Saturday for us in the UK that's a game changer it's nice not to wake up on a Monday morning and feel like absolute toilet um i just do that on a sunday morning now but that was normal anyway so yeah so so far i've certainly enjoyed it i like my football you know so it's nfl it's college i love watching it and this is just something else to watch at the right time you know because for me you know the baseball season doesn't you know yeah. spring training starts at the end of this week but spring training is spring training you know you know our proper mlb so this, it just feels a nice window. And yeah, it's it's not premiership quality. It's probably more your championship quality. But you're still seeing players. And what I like are the ones who have come down from the NFL, who've been on practice squads and things, who are saying, look, this is for me and I can show you. You've then got the game film to take in. Now, it might not earn you a starting slot, but what it's going to do is earn you a chance to go into camp. I think now what you'll see is a lot of the invited free agents will come out of the Alliance League because if the NFL has taught us anything, they like to see people. And the best way to see them is in game situations. Okay, and you're playing against players of similar levels, you know, do you have a habit of committing stupid fouls? Do you have a habit of jumping offside? These things will be revealed here. And I think it's tremendous. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, there's a couple of contenders right away. Garrett Gilbert, who's the quarterback for the Apollos, has had a really good start to the season. Um, uh, Louis Perez, who was, I'm trying to remember, I'm sure he was at the Rams um, at one point. Uh, he's done particularly well. But what's also interesting to see is a player like Christian Hackenberg, who is at the Memphis Express, was terrible in the NFL. He's come down to this level and he still stinks. <laughs> so, you know, it's not... I think any player that's coming into this that's played at the NFL that thinks, you know what, this will be fine, I'll cruise this. Absolutely not. And the problem that you've got there is you've got a bunch of people who've never even been given that chance yet. Yeah. And they're desperate for it. They're absolutely desperate. I think on uh, defense, there's a guy called Carter Schultz, who's a defensive end who plays for the Stallions. Now, his build is not necessarily that of your traditional defensive end, but already he's got 10 tackles, uh, three sacks, and that's in two games. He's He was tremendous, looked really, really good. But my absolute favourite, my absolute favourite without any shadow of a doubt, is the Atlanta Legends have a player called Tracy Sprinkle, which, I'm sorry, is the Alliance of America Football League done by Nickelodeon. 
Tracy Sprinkle. <laughs> you know, that's that's like a, a Hollywood movie about a girl that's pretending to be a boy because she's good enough to play. And he's a great player. Good enough to play, but who's, who's called Tracy Sprinkle? That, that is a bizarre one. And uh, <laughs> I've actually... Uh, to be unkind to Atlanta, I think they're called the Burger King Legends. Because yeah. that's what they look like. And I know I did chortle at old Christian Hagenberg. I actually hope he comes back and plays yes, well yes. in the next few weeks and just proves to people that he's a decent player. It might just be the NFL was too much for him. I'd be really disappointed for him if this level proved too much for him. It certainly has been at the moment. It might just be a bit of rust, a bit of cobwebs. Perhaps not playing for the best team, yeah. but I would like to see him come through a little bit. The final point on this one, I'm going to highlight Philip Nelson of the fleet. Uh, did you see his over the back of his head throw yes, and did, reception? Did he mean it? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it was a particularly wise move. I don't think his coach would ever say, oh, well done for trying that one. But there's been a lot of fun with that. A lot of people uh, tweeting Pat Mahomes and saying to him, here, Mahomes, you're going to have to up your, up your game now. No, look, who cares? He did it behind his head. And to be fair to Mahomes, he replied. Saying, oh, Mahomes was <laughs> great. Now, y- you know my thing, the season with Mahomes and Breeze, yeah. etc. He goes up, in my estimation, <laughs> for the way that he handled that because there was no prima donna There was nothing like that. He just said, yeah, yeah. tell you what. And I liked that. I, th- I thought that was, that was really good. In terms of jumping back to the NFL, looking at players, now Pittsburgh are still in a world of hurt. It's bye-bye Bell, he's ding-dong there for the last time and he's gone. But, you know, the Antonio Brown saga, is he going to speak to them? Is he not going to speak to them? He said that, you know, he really admires Big Ben Roethlisberger because he calls it as he see it. He's an extra coach. I don't see him being in Pittsburgh. I think, you know, he said his goodbye to the fans. It's almost like he's had too much of a backlash, so he's going to try and come back and, and be nice. I don't see that happening. Adam Thielen is close to agreeing a new deal in Minnesota. I think that's really, really important for the Vikings. But one of the stories today that, that's come out is that Case Keenum is shocked by the Joe Flacco trade. That's going to be an awkward, awkward situation, and I'm not sure... The Broncos have handled it properly. If he's coming out and quite happy to tell you that he's shocked, that's a different thing to come out and say, I'm disappointed because I think I'm the man. Shocked, just a nice, correct choice of word, I think tells you enough. So I think that's going to be a very interesting one to see. Now, what might help is that at least Flacco's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. um, And there's hopefully going to be a bit of mutual respect there between the two. So it's not like they've gone and got the hotshot rookie, which I think he really would have been unhappy yeah. about. But the, the one, I think the most interesting one, the one I think people will wonder, is, is Kareem Hunt. Yes. It's where do you fall on second chances and are there some things that you should never get a second chance over? And do you know what? I, I definitely feel how I feel on this. And I think for me... The Browns have got this one wrong for a number of reasons. So they've got it wrong because in Nick Chubb, they had a running back who stepped up big time when Carlos uh, Hyde went away. And he showed he should have been the starting running back from day one. I thought he was tremendous. They've got Duke Johnson, who's a great receiving back and a different option. I don't think he did anything wrong. And I think those guys were important. And I think that a theme over the last couple of years has been the Browns fan frustration that Duke Johnson's not been given more of a chance. So for me, Kareem Hunt is a player that they don't need. 
And there's a whole bunch of other areas. Now, he's still on a rookie contract. So if you look at it purely from a footballing point of view, let's take the other stuff out of it. Purely from a footballing point of view, of course, a great rookie comes available. You're going to take him. But really, you add the other stuff in and you question, well, what's this doing to my guys that are here already? You know, John Dorsey said that he had a relationship with him. Obviously, he drafted him to the Chiefs. So he knows the boy. He feels like he's spoken to him enough that he feels that he's got past it. But for me, the dust hasn't settled on the Kareem Hunt thing. The NFL investigation hasn't taken place. And it's not one, but it's three incidents that are being looked at. And I feel like we've still not really heard much of the other two. So, you know, you look at a situation like that and the Browns didn't need to do it. They just didn't need to do it. They could have waited you know, he was sitting there. It didn't feel like anyone was making a mad rush to go and get him or anything like that. Um, I just, I'm all for second chances. And I think that there's certain things, misdemeanors, that absolutely know two ways about it. But it just, you know, that video was really damning. Uh, the dust hasn't settled. Things haven't gone cold yet. Uh, and he's back on a team. And I just feel like, I actually feel where the Browns picked up some sympathy and some sort of, not support, but some some positive spin from their hard knocks, mm-hmm. I think this one move can be enough to make people go, well, I hope they tank again next year. I think it's an awkward one for Freddie Kitchens who comes in. He obviously had to agree to it. Yeah. If I'm defending the Browns, mm. because of the personal relationship with John Dorsey, if you were going to do it, you had to do it quickly because somebody else would have yeah. picked him up. So in terms of timing, I'll defend the Browns on that. I think there's then two other separate things. It's one, and I think you covered it pretty damn well. Is he actually going to make them a better team? Yeah. You know, you know, you take the scales of what he brings with his baggage and the upside. I'm not convinced that he does. So on the second chances thing, we live in a society where we've got to be careful. We've seen a video. We've not seen context. Yeah. And the only reason I say that is if you want to then prosecute that and let the guy be found guilty. Yeah. He looks guilty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. But you, if you go through the due process yeah. and let that let that play out. I do believe in second chances. Mm-hmm. And I think it's difficult when it is such a horrible thing that turns everybody's stomach. Yes. Let's be honest. It just turns your, turns your stomach. There are certain crimes... That you think there's got to be no coming back from. I mean, there's a chance that the NFL decide he's not worth a second chance, and they ban him for life. That's highly possible. I think that what what I wouldn't be surprised to see is potentially a ten or year long ten game or year long ban. I think that they'll 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 want to make an exception. I would have thought of this, not an exception, an example. Where there is video evidence, it's slightly different to, say, the Reuben Forster one, which is dodgy for all other kinds of reasons. And I'm still, although charges have been dropped, this is now multiple times charges have been raised and dropped. Yes. Um, I'm glad that the 49ers went, you know what? Nah, we don't need you that much. Off you go. And the Redskins got some flack for picking him up. And that was for someone where there is no hard evidence that anyone's seen. With the Hunt one, there is evidence there. Um, it, it looks terrible he's absolutely guilty of it second chances he's a, a young guy who's going to be getting a lot of attention and how he's dealt with it still the worry for me is the fact that there's three and I think that if it had been a, a one-off then you put it down to he was drunk he was stupid he's done something that's unforgivable but you know what he's he's 
He's been proactive and he's going to anger management and he's doing something about it by all accounts. So you've got to give someone some credit for that. Do you know what? Everyone's made mistakes of varying levels, but it's how you sort of deal with that, no matter who you are, it's about how do you take that on and go like, do you know what? I've made a royal screw up of this. This is, this is a horrible level of human being that I do not want to be and I am going to change that. You've got to respect that. You've got to give them the chance. Fine. I just feel like, I see on time and I just think it's slightly... If, if the NFL had come out and said, right, he's banned for 10 games, right, fine. Someone wants to take him up, fine. We'll take him up with the 10-game ban. I feel like they're hedging their bets. Well, I, I think... Uh, that, well, and they are. They are, <laughs> without any doubt. And the thing is, with, with Ruben Forster, come kickoff in September, it's not an issue. No, he's still there. Largely, you know, because people move on yeah. so quickly in this yeah. you know 24 hour news thing so I think what Washington did was we're going to take the hit for a week or two yeah. but given the time of the season it is you know people will forget about it. if he transgresses again yeah bang. then they've got a situation to um, but that that's then a rod for their back yeah it, it is such a difficult thing when you do believe in rehabilitation and second chances it's, it's hard. You could look at right across the news, and we're not going to talk about it, but there are stories across the news where you look, you think, no, nah, yeah. that, that is unforgivable. Yeah. But, you know, we're trying to apply it to sporting terms for people who have not been actually convicted of a crime. Yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, totally. So the NFL have confirmed there are five potential teams... For hard knocks. And you know what? That's wrong. Right, okay. Because there are 32 potential teams yeah. for hard knocks. You can volunteer to be on it. All right, okay. <laughs> and that's sometimes overlooked. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody's volunteering to be on hard knocks. Well, would you? That That's the question. You would have to sit down and say, is there something that we can get out of this as a franchise? Now, for an example, the Bengals who have been, you know, it's moving on from Marvin Lewis, great coach, but, you know, they've just had that sort of tag of mould, you know, just not quite there. You could almost reinvent yourself on the, the national stage if you wanted to go down that route. So there are 32 teams potentially that could do it, and I just wondered if there were one or two that might want to do that. Interestingly, the Bengals have been on it twice before. All right, okay. They've been on in 2009 and 2013. You know, they might come forward. There's also stories that the Jacksonville Jaguars might want to put themselves out there. Again, trying to appeal to the fan base and, you know, trying to make... You are a national story. You are coast to coast on HBO, which for some people could be an absolutely brilliant thing. So there might be one or two that throw their name into it. Now, the teams that can't say no for various reasons. If you haven't done the show in the last 10 years, you haven't been to the playoffs in the last two years, and you don't have a new head coach, you are up. And yep. available. So we've got the 49ers. Yeah. We've got uh, the Oakland, Nevada, London, <laughs> Bathgate Raiders. Uh, you've got the Lions, the Giants, and the Redskins. Now, it's interesting. So we're going to talk more about hard knocks because we'll find out a little bit more about who's going to go. But just, you know, out of those five teams, if you are the NFL, who do you want? I think you want the Raiders. 
And I think you want the Raiders because there is so much going on there right now. The only reason that you might not take the Raiders now is they might be even juicier next year. Yes. And that's the only reason that you might give them a hard pass. Um, the, the I think the 49ers are desperate for it not to be them. I think that there'd be so much focus on Jimmy Garoppolo coming back from injury. It just adds media attention that they don't necessarily want. But I'm not even sure that the Niners at the moment is that fascinating of a story. I think for me the Lions is interesting because Matt Patricia had an okay first season. He's now got a really hard division. It'd be fascinating to see how he's set up to deal with that. You know, how are you dealing with Aaron Rodgers? How are you also then dealing with Khalil Mack? You know, that's both sides of the ball. So I think that would be an interesting story. But the Raiders is the Raiders is brilliant because of the fact that they're homeless. I mean, there's chat now that they could well stay in Oakland, even though the city of Oakland are still suing them. But that might all be dropped. They might be best friends again. I mean, that in itself is a story. Uh, you've got Mike Mayock, who's just gone in there into the front office, so you can follow a bit of him and see what he's up to. Uh, Gruden, obviously, fascinating to see what he's doing. But there's going to be so much change. They've got a big free agency and they've got a huge draft. They've got three first round picks. Yeah, so there's your story. You know, follow that. Um, the one that I'm going to chuck in as a little extra, the one I would love to see is the Jets. And I know we can, but that's a story waiting to happen. You know, Greg Williams, two years in a row on Hard Knocks oh. in itself. What a story. Adam Gase. I mean, we seems marginally unhinged um, <laughs> fascinating to see him but the reason that I'm going to that I want to see the Jets is obviously Greg Williams is the defensive coordinator but his outside linebacker coach is now Joe Vitt who of course was under um, Williams at the Saints, the Saints yeah, under yeah. Bounty Gate Absolutely. and Vitt was instrumental in testifying against Williams and now they're working together at oh. the Jets. This is an absolute powder keg waiting to go. Oh, I want to see what's happening at the Jets. Forgive and forget. We'd move <laughs> on. Hey, yeah, we're all friends here now. Um, I think the, the team that I would want to see, and I think because there's a media bias, mm. I think the Giants are on the hook here. I think they are the NFL's first choice, second choice, and third choice here. The California vibe we've kind of had... The Lions, meh. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, not say, I think it'd be good for the Lions because I think it gets people talking in the national story. But 2010 with the New York Jets was a really good series. I think because of the draft, because of Eli, because of Beckham, because of Barkley. Yeah. You know, start spreading the news. You heard it here first. It's going to be the Giants and Hard Knocks. I think it's a great show. I think even add to that Landon Collins saying that if he gets franchise tagged, he might sit out spring training. If if the I think the thing that will hinge that if the Giants reach for a quarterback in the first round, stick on. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely. the Giants. If they're a bit meh and they sort the offensive line or a bit of defensive cover with the first couple of picks, they might go uh, to Oakland or wherever they're playing. But no, I think that's a cracking shout. And to be honest, you know what? Hard Knocks is great. I'll watch any team. <laughs> So as part of this podcast, before we finish up, we wanted to just take some time to thank some of the people that have been involved over the last year, helping us make this podcast and helping us grow the audience. A huge part of that have been the guests we've had to join us on the pod, so a huge thank you goes to Angus Coots, Ross Henderson, Jody Jameson, Darren Coots, Ian Stephen, Callum Carson, Duncan Terry, Shona Duthie, Colin Lamont and to Joe Hunter who provide us with some great lineman content. 
We'd also love to thank our live guests who appeared with us at the Golf Tavern for Week 1 and Championship Sunday. So a huge thanks to Jamie Borthwick, Don Edmondson, Gordon McGuinness, Jamie Morrison and Charles Patterson. We've also had some exclusive interviews in this year too. So a thank you to David Ojabo, Gordon Wallace of the East Kilbride Pirates, Cam Craig, Stephen Smith, General Manager at the Carolina Havoc, Gary McKay, Stephen and Aberdeen Football Club and of course former Scottish Claymores quarterback Jen Ballard. We also need to give a special mention to Claire De Bear for her wonderful giveaways, my touchdown box for the great product and kind donations. Liz Bandari continues to do a wonderful job promoting the game in the UK. Special thanks to Ben and all the team at Touchdown Trips who helped organise our amazing trip to Louisiana. Sainsbury's 2 Clothing for all the donations of their wonderful NFL merchandise. Many thanks too to the Edinburgh Wolves men and women's team as well as the Midlothian Sabres flag football team, all of whom who've supported us by turning up to the live events in good numbers. So thank you for that. Also, we have to give a massive thank you to the Golf Tavern and their wonderful staff who've sponsored this podcast and provided the location for our live events. We're already working on plans to be back there for the 2019 season. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. We're lucky that we've had a great following of NFL fans who love talking about the game and listening to the podcast. We've loved every interaction with you, even with a particular Rams fan at the end of that championship game (laughs) there's too many of you to mention you all but please know how much we appreciate your support your input and we hope you continue to enjoy this podcast thanks for listening we'll be back soon bye for now